Live from Spain, this is The Drive Home with Harry Waters. Hello there and welcome. Good evening, good afternoon, uh, wherever you may be. I understand in the UK you guys are on your half term at the moment, so lucky you. It's not a concept I really understand out here in Spain. Um, today we have got a wonderful I was going to say lesson lined up for you. Um, I think I must be very much in teacher mode at the moment. Live just run out of a classroom there. So um, we do have a wonderful show lined up for you today. It's our pre-cop special. And I'm going to be speaking to two of my absolute favorite people. Um, two lovely ELT environmental warriors. Um, eco-heroes, uh, as I like to call them. Uh, hi there, Tim. Thanks for coming along. Um, and I'm just... So, yeah, I today I've got two wonderful people, wonderful Welsh women, as I put it earlier. Um, two, two of them are coming along today, two very special people to me. Um, I see one of them has arrived. The other one's coming a bit later. I was looking across at Zoom, seeing her her panicked face as she couldn't quite enter, but she got in. She, she is a very... Am I here? And you are here, loud and clear. Um, and here we have uh, the first guest for today, the, the wonderful, the amazing, uh, Ellen Evans of STEM Ginger Education. Hello, Hello, Ellen. Hello. Nice to see you, Harry. Or nice to hear you, Harry. Although she can actually see me as well. We're currently Don't speaking. <laughs> okay, well, I won't tell anyone. It's a secret. <laughs> we, we definitely can't see each other. Um, so today... Uh, we are going to be talking all about, well, something, ugh, I, I, I can't really say I'm passionate about it because it's a bit more than that. I'm, I'm obsessed with it, I guess. <laughs> We're going to be talking about environment, education, and our hopes for the upcoming COP, and, but also our expectations, which I think will be somewhat different to our hopes, um, <laughs> I'm afraid. But oh, well. Yeah, but we know, you know, <laughs> if we can get kind of halfway between our hopes and our expectations, then that would be a yeah. that would a, that would be quite good. Um, <laughs> so, Ellen, um, yeah. tell me, um, who are you, um, and what, and how did you get into this world of of environment and ELT? Well, um, my name's Ellen Evans, which kind of gives a clue to the fact that I'm from Wales, and um yeah so I grew up in Wales and then I was like what am I going to study at university once I finished school so I went off to Brighton and became a TEFL teacher and I then immediately got a job in Italy and then I traveled around for the next few years I went from Italy to Portugal back to Italy to Egypt to Spain different places in Spain and all the while I mean I was I've always been aware of the environment, been passionate about it and kind of seen it as part of my life everywhere I've gone. But then I went on to study um, natural sciences and that really invoked in me a passion in the natural world. And I thought, hmm, how can we bring together, how can I bring together language and the environment? And that's when I started sowing the seeds in my mind of STEM ginger education. I absolutely love um, what you do and the way you approach things. Um, I met you 
um, a little while back, we spoke on a, on a British Council thing about climate yeah, refugees, yeah. didn't we? We um, did. We did. That was super interesting. It really was. It was wonderful. And I, I remember from there, like going off and doing my, um, I don't want to call it stalking because it's not stalking. <laughs> um, a, a deep research. dive, research. I guess. Yeah, my research. I did my research <laughs> on you and I was just like, wow, like that's really cool. Um, oh, thank you. Thank just, you. I'm like you say, is it, is it passion? Is it obsession? I'm, I mean, I, I, like, I prefer to think of it as passion because I'm so passionate about it that, as we've been talking about, you know, we don't need financial boost and motivation to, to get going with it. We just throw everything into it. Exactly. That's, that is something I've found. I mean, I was, I was speaking to a business coach because I was told I should speak to a business coach. Mm. Um, and all my business coach was saying all the time, well, she's not my business coach. She was trying to, to be my business coach. She was selling <laughs> the business coachery to me. Um, and all she could say the whole time was, you know, oh, when you get your first 5K customer, you're, you know, when you make yeah. this. And I was just like, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm it's not motivation. actually motivated by money. Yes, I, I, yes. I like to have money to live, you know. Mm -hmm. Food is great. Um, shoes for my daughter, very useful, particularly when she wants to, you know, go out on the street and stuff like that. <laughs> but I don't, you know, I'm not driven by this, oh, yeah. That she was like, you can sell your course to this, this, and this. I don't want to sell it exactly, you know. I want people who are interested know, yeah. in it. I want, I want to spread the message around, you know. If I can make some money in the process, grand, wonderful. But yeah. what's important to me is that this message gets out there. This, you know, exactly. this idea Same, of yeah. sustainability in in ELT and yeah. and what I really love about what you do. Now I don't want to tread on your toes too much about about mm -hmm. what you do, um, but it's one of the kind of so I'm, I talk about getting a, having a greener mindset in in mm -hmm. students in ELT and like almost a path to activism. Yeah. Like the the first two points I have are all about you know loving nature and getting back into <laughs> exactly. nature. Yes. And when I look at you and when I see your posts and when I see what you're doing, it's it's almost exactly that. You know, it's it's well. That's what I think is so important, and I have to say that's what um, motivated me initially to go off and study natural sciences was my passion for. I, I lived in Cadiz at the time in southern Spain and I lived on the front line front row overlooking the Atlantic Ocean watching the sun setting over the ocean every single day and I was just oh my goodness this is amazing I want to know how it works and so that's when I went off to um, study environmental science oceanography um, the physics of the of the tides the um, biology of the biology within the waters and the chemistry as well and that passion just drove me to, to think, okay, this needs looking after. The planet's got its sus. The planet knows how to look after itself. And I would like to pass on that passion. And that's very much what I'm about, which, passing on that passion, but also raising awareness of, of the environmental mess that we have created, that we are creating, and why we shouldn't keep going the way that we're going. Well, exactly. I mean... Um, and until, you know, people always talk about, you know, we need to teach our kids this, we need to teach our kids that. And if we do just go into the classroom and say, 
yeah, this is bad, this is bad, don't exactly. buy this, don't buy that. They're, it's not going to make any difference whatsoever. You know, exactly. it's going to go in, it's going to go in, they're going to be like, that's that bald bearded guy who keeps talking about the planet. <laughs> Why should I listen to him? Like, he's a bit of an idiot. He's got nice shirts and he takes good care <laughs> of his beard, but he's a bit of an idiot. So I'm not actually going to listen to it. So that that first step, that that like love for the planet and understanding exactly. of the planet is so important. It's so important. And that way it will be sustainable. It will make people think, okay, I'm not doing this because I should. I'm doing this because it's just the way things should, the way things need to be done, the way that I've seen things being done and keeping it going. And like teaching, educating children, getting them involved in it, getting them a passion, getting them passionate about it, I just think is so crucial. I don't want to pass the buck by any stretch of the imagination, but getting the children, the future teachers, the future shopkeepers, the future politicians, getting them involved so that implementing sustainable strategies and whatever is just second nature. It's exactly. without saying. Yeah. That is, uh, that, that is absolutely it. With, I mean, to, this morning I was at my daughter's school and we were clearing the school allotment. Yeah. You know, um, and I was just so excited to be there. You know, um, it, it, it wasn't I the fun part on, today. On Facebook, yeah. I, I thought you might have. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> like, it wasn't the fun bit today. Today was the, you know, the, the hard work, the get in there, okay. get your hands dirty, clear out the rocks, clear out the mm -hmm. weeds and all that, because it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to rain here on Friday, <laughs> which is <laughs> amazing. For well, a very, very long time. Um, yeah. So we're all kind of excited about that except my mm. cousin's coming over for the first time in two years and it's going to rain all next week. Yeah. But never mind, she's bringing <laughs> the weather with her, which is nice of her. So, you yeah. know, we had to get all that ready and prepare it. And I just, I was so excited to, you know, to be able to, you know, help those 600 students at that school mm. to show them, like, the power of the planet, to show them, like, yes. look yeah. what you can do and, and get them into vegetables. You know, we're going to plant purple yeah. sprout and broccoli. That's not and the watch it growing. It's just like it's amazing. Exactly. It's not the traditional you go into the supermarket and you've got your plastic wrapped broccoli in yeah, there. Exactly. Kids don't like that. Yeah. I, I understand why they don't like it. You know, they shouldn't. It's covered in plastic. But anyway. Um, and why is it covered in plastic? I've got no idea. It isn't in the fruit shop or the green no. grocer, as we call it yeah, in English. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so that. You know, and then so they're going to see this kind of purple weirdness growing, and mm. and we're going to try and get in some like other. So rather than just your traditional orange carrots, we're going to look for some of the the oh, more nice. bizarrely coloured ones, and yeah. we're going to we're going to try and get some stranger varieties, but also Excellent. stuff from here in Andalusia. So yeah, um, I'm just really excited about to be why on it. Is it orange? And exactly. Exactly. Um, so I find that like fascinating myself. Mm, um, totally, totally. And I just think that, that, that what you're doing, I mean, you're taking these kind of these early steps that I talk about these, you know, bring a plant mm. into the classroom, take your classes into nature. So that's like for me is, you know, it's an introduction. It's a dip your toes in the water kind of thing. Mm. What you're doing at STEM Ginger Education, you're like, you're not just dipping your toes in the water, are you? You're like, you're, you're diving in. You're, you're full <laughs> yeah, on in the thing. ocean. Like, like you're saying, you know, having grown plants in the classroom, get having an allotment, getting people aware of the how they can bring the nature to them, that's great. But with STEM Ginger Education, I'm 
almost going about it in the opposite direction and getting people to look at what's around them. And so I've had these projects running in different countries around the world, in Spain, in um, Britain, but also in Tanzania, in Mali, in South America, in Argentina, in Colombia, and and getting children to look at um, the, nat or the natural world around them and then compare it to another place. Oh. So, I mean, it's just so eye-opening, like learning about, for example, I had um, a boy in southern Spain looking at water sources near Cadiz, and he was writing about the puddles, you know, who's a, a young boy who's writing about the puddles and whether he would drink the water or not and whatever, and just paying attention to the the water sources around him, which was wonderful. But then somebody else, some other children did the same project in um, Tanzania. In, and the things that they came out with, it was just like, oh, my goodness, I had no idea. So the, there were pictures and um, of these girls in school and boys that had just had their first tap installed so that finally they were able to go to school all month round because these were teenage girls, so they need to keep clean. And it was complicated and and having having periods was considered dirty and weird until you know they're starting to get educated about it and just having this um, possibility for a child in Spain or wherever in a developed nation looking at um, the situation in an underdeveloped or a developing nation and just comparing them thinking ah it's not the same everywhere I just think that's really eye-opening I learned a lot. That is I'm 44. That is <laughs> so. like that is gobsmacking, you know, that is yeah. you know it, and yeah like you say they're the kind of things that you 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 don't stop to think about really. You know, as adults yeah. we know that things are different. You know, we know that, but when yeah. you hear we had our first tap installed and you know there's my, you know, my, my daughter here will say, I don't want to drink the water from the upstairs bathroom because it doesn't taste like the water from the tap downstairs. Know, exactly. And it's just like... And then these girls as well that did the project in... Um, so they're in the foothills of Kilimanjaro and they were saying that every day they have to walk however far to collect water and they have to do this every day and en route they, they risk getting raped, they risk this, they risk that. And it's just like, oh, my goodness. And then, like you say, we're worrying about drinking water from the bathroom rather than the kitchen or whatever. So, goodness it's, me. It, no, it's, so it's, it's something that I think, you know, it would be great for for all kids to kind of to get involved with, um, yeah. to see the real people of it, not the, exactly. you know, when you watch on TV and you see an advert for UNICEF or something, um, and, you know, kids yeah. here or, or in the UK or wherever, they can easily just kind of click the channel over and kind of forget all about it. But when, you know, exactly. if they if they can connect with somebody real, I, I had a, I was really lucky a couple of weeks back. I did an interview with a, with a lady who runs an orphanage and a, a school in the Dandala okay. slums in Nairobi in Kenya. Mm. And like after the after we'd done the interview talking about education for everybody, mm -hmm. quality education, SDG four. Um, <laughs> that's what the lesson was about, strangely enough. She she like just said, "Hey, do you want to come and meet the kids of the orphanage?" And I was like, mm -hmm. "Absolutely, I do." You know that would oh, be amazing. Wow. So yeah. she took so she took me into the into the like dining area where there were yeah. you know thirty five kids maybe one of whom was was wow. ill in bed. You know they were all there eating, and I was I was looking. There's like 
30, yeah, as I say, like 30 kids in a room that was a little bit bigger than my living room. And I was just there with just yeah, I, thinking. Yeah, so are you opening, isn't it? Yeah, this is so amazing. And mm. and this morning with my with my daughter, the you know, her shoes broke. Luckily, mm-hmm. she had another pair of shoes, you know, some mm-hmm. an old pair of shoes. And she was mm-hmm. complaining that they were uncomfortable. And I I was just thinking in that moment, you have a spare pair of shoes like I know and this isn't even talking about kids in in other countries kids in underdeveloped countries this is talking about kids here in Spain who yeah, don't have totally. the opportunity of yeah, a second yeah, pair true. of shoes so yeah yeah uh, anyway yeah. I fear I've, I've I've steered off topic here somewhat um, <laughs> not at all it's all relevant exactly but I was just thinking as well like with the so that story that I was saying about the project in Tanzania and and Spain looking at water that was eye-opening but then another project that I ran was on looking at endemic species or researching endemic species um, in your country or where you live and so children in Spain were writing about the Iberian lynx whereas in Mali in Africa they were writing about the African elephant and then they can put all the information where I put the information onto the (laughs) web page and and they can compare and have a look at the different animals in different countries and all of this is done in English using English as a tool for communication and it's really informative so yes that you know it's eye-opening and sometimes really sad things come out of it but it's the reality and also very positive beautiful things looking at different animals in different places and getting passionate about the natural world I I was going to ask you you know how do you make a difference in your line of work but I I'm not, I think you've kind of answered that already. Um, if you, like, <laughs> you I, think? I, I, I think so, but I'm going to ask you anyway, because I, I think you've got so. more to say. I ha- so well, how, could, how are you making a difference or how do you make a difference in your line of work? Well, it, exactly what we were just saying about um, uh, raising awareness, giving children an opportunity to learn about different nations and also to communicate with people from other nations. and. Also, um, something I'm just setting up on my web page now is a place for learning about each other's languages as well. So just um, not learning um, like how to speak the language, but learning little bits, little words, learning about cultures and things. Because I think a massive thing about um, environmental awareness is working together. And we can only work together if we understand each other, at least to some extent. And that comes not only through words and language, that also comes through culture and foods and understanding each other. So in that that way, and then also I think that I hope I make a difference. Like I've had adults asking me to saying, oh, I don't know anything about, like I did a course on virology. Like, oh, I don't know anything about viruses, which is obviously a very relevant topic at the moment. (laughs) Very topical. um, (laughs) Yes. And so, like, teaching adults about um, this is global citizens courses, which are better for teenagers and more suitable for teenagers and adults because they're more in-depth and require a bit more autonomy and thinking. Um, and Yeah, and just so in that way, raising awareness, raising an understanding, not just awareness, also understanding, I think, behind the what we see is going on. I really do think that part of it, is kind of a key it's something that that i know i'm not i don't go deeply enough into like you know mm. I, the understanding side of things yes there there is plenty of awareness and i know i could go deeper with the understanding mm-hmm. again it's that 
looking for the opportune moment. But luckily, there are people like you out there who who can <laughs> who are doing it as well. So you know, I can say, here's a general idea. What you need to do is go and check out <laughs> STEM Ginger Education to look further into this to have a, a kind of there deeper knowledge. Yeah. Also, because and you're it's, trained it's all in crucial. that. Yeah, yeah. And it's also important. I mean, raising awareness and enthusiasm and interest in the topic is so important. And then going to a different level, another level is learning, understanding the science behind it so that you value it more. more Absolutely. Well, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to pop away for one minute to have a quick Mm -hmm. listen to our sponsors. And then we'll be back. We're going to talk about your challenges you've come up against. And then to the to the crux of the matter with the the conference of parties 26 <laughs> the 26th version of it yet the first one anyone's ever spoken about anyway more about that in just a moment <laughs> need support with your phonics teaching did you know oxford university press now has 3 dfe validated programs to help you read write ink phonics floppies phonics and the brand new essential letters and sounds Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people-pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses? All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Hello and welcome back. Um, thank you very much. Uh, hello. So, hello, nice to see you. Um, I was actually <laughs> thinking, um, so bef- no, first I'm going to ask you about the challenges you've come up against and then I'll tell you what I was thinking because otherwise I'll go off on a Ooh, tangent. And I know you've got a lesson to get to, so I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent. So what have been your biggest challenges so far? And also, I'd like to know about constructive vision in them as well. Ah, okay. My challenges have been, are, continue to be. I, I'm, I'm quite shy, and so I'm not very good at um, getting out there and going, hi, listen to me, although... I have to say the pandemic has helped me in this way, like talking on a radio program or talking online. I'm much better at that than standing. Well, I don't think I've ever stood up in a conference to do it. I'm not sure. Yeah. So being a little bit shy and being, you know, just waiting for people to ask me, but I need to put myself out there more. 
which goes hand in hand with with marketing. I'm and now with everything online, I'm not particularly good at marketing. So finding people that have um, complementary skills, shall we say, to mine. Then um, other other challenges. I mean, that's the main challenge: is getting out there and spreading the word. Like a little while ago, I was running um, workshops in in Barcelona, and that involved going from left to right to left to right, doing this workshop, carrying all my stuff, and and of course, it was all voluntary. So mm-hmm. funding again is <laughs> another. Funding is a big one, and I'm I'm also um, I've got limited mobility, so trying to get around the city was quite a mission for me. I did it, but on my three wheel trike, I got around. Um, yes, those are the main. I would challenges. love to see that. Um, <laughs> so we're going to talk about uh, COP twenty six now. Yeah. The thing I was thinking on the way back from karate yesterday. No, I don't go to karate. My daughter does. <laughs> I go to yoga, but not not to karate. Um, so on the way back, I was thinking COP. It's COP twenty six. So it is the twenty sixth edition of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I mentioned before, it's the first one anyone's really talking about. People talk about the Paris Agreement, but don't talk about COP21. Yeah, yeah like Maybe it's kind of briefly mentioned, but I don't know, maybe it's mm. because it's in Glasgow. But then I was thinking COP, you know, Conference of Parties. And I was like, I know. that's a I weird know. name. But then I thought, <laughs> what else could they call it? If it was Conference of Countries, it would be COC, which again, probably yeah, not really appropriate. Although Boris Sticks Johnson is going to be there, yeah. <laughs> Um, and then the other one, I thought, Conference of Nations. And then I thought, hmm, I think that would be a bit too real, calling it Con 26, because if yeah. know, it's, <laughs> as we true. mentioned, with the it's Paris true. Agreement that, uh, that, that did come about six whole years ago, um, yeah. how online are we for these targets? You know, there, it was all, you know, this big, wonderful thing. We're going to do it. 1.5 degrees, no problem. Easy, we've got yeah. this. We've got 15 years to achieve it. And then the SDGs, they came out as well around the same time. Mm. You know, all these amazing things. Yeah, we can do this. We're going to make a difference. Net zero 2030. Lots of complex mm. carbon calculations we're going to fake it with. Yet yeah, CO2 emissions are still rising. Um, all sorts of other things in the SDGs are not close to being achieved. Um, I saw that until last year, poverty continually fell. You know, they were saying that poverty was falling year on year for 25 years, mm-hmm. yet hunger was rising. So I know poverty and hunger aren't the same thing, but, you, you know. You would imagine they're intrinsically linked, wouldn't you? You know, you, yeah, exactly. So if poverty is falling, you would expect that maybe hunger was also falling. How can... Yeah. People, you know, but it was absolute poverty that was falling. And that's people living on this is less thing, than $1.90 a day. Like, yeah, well, yeah. great. But it's like terminology and statistics and the way they refer about refer to things. It's also misleading and confusing. And because even like I was looking at just looking up uh, net zero and carbon neutral before. And net zero actually refers to all carbon emissions. Uh, not sorry. See, I'm falling into the trap. All <laughs> greenhouse gas emissions, not only carbon emissions. Whereas people use it as though it's um, synonymous with carbon emissions, but it's not. And and this this misuse of terms, which is also 
written in some official paperwork, I hasten to add, it's, it's confusing and that results in greenwashing and results in people just talking about things in a slapstick way and I sound good and I sound green friendly and whatever, but if you actually look into the depth, into the details, then it's, it's not accurate and it needs to be for real change to happen. Exactly. That's one of the things that kind of worries me about con, sorry, COP26. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is this kind of, what well, this governmental greenwashing, as it were, and the, 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 the lack of representation for the, um, for like the global South, you know, it's, I, I, I have a, somebody I've interviewed a few times, um, uh, Rituraj Fouken from, from Assam in India. Um, mm -hmm. And for him to get to Glasgow, like he's, you know, he's worked on Al Gore's um, program. He's, um, he's, he's, a, you know, he's huge in, in the environmental um, scene, particularly in India. And it's been almost impossible for him to get to Glasgow. Yeah, exactly. And he's somebody who's, you know, you know, he's, he's not in poverty. He's, you know, he's, mm -hmm. he's in a position of, of, of power. He's in, you know he's he's a strong voice uh, where he is and mm -hmm. he's luckily he's doing some events in glasgow like he's doing talks in various like different universities and yeah. for me i think that's the area that's going to make the biggest difference um at cop Definitely. it's not going to be the the leaders of these nations sitting around talking about how they can plant a bunch of trees so they can still fly from London to Cornwall if they want to. I know, um, I know. This is one thing that kind of bugged me, I guess, when I was looking through the COP um, criteria and information behind it. And it was just saying about how Britain is, the UK is leading in this and it's leading in that and it's leading in this, that and the other. I'm like, yeah, but why did all this begin? It all began in the industri after the, or during the Industrial Revolution. Who started that? Britain, the <laughs> United Kingdom. Yeah. And it's like, well, maybe it is your responsibility to get things going and get people acting and helping poor nations so that they can take part in it as well. And yeah. this really concerns me as well. Like I've got a friend who, an English teacher in Peru, and he was... Like I was um, saying about the SDG, I can't remember what SDG I was talking about at the time, but he was like, yeah, the SDGs are so, they're not applicable to the indigenous community within the area that he was living in Peru. And I was just like, oh yeah, and like, you know, I just wonder, and this is what I'm exploring at the moment, how much of the, the UN with the SDGs, with, the, with COP26, how much is really reaching out to those um vulnerable less poorer nations hidden even and but equally important exactly so, yeah yeah it is very much kind of focused on the global north and you know what we need to do yeah. you know how we can help others so maybe others might like to help themselves or maybe they just yeah, wouldn't like to yeah, be put exactly. in the position where they have to be helped because of our exactly. insistence on you know so britain I mean, leading in maybe, renewables but still yeah, digging coal maybe mines we can learn from them as well but yeah exactly um <laughs> it's probably quite a lot we can learn from you know an indigenous yeah. people who have been self-sufficient for thousands of years um, exactly. who don't yeah. need you know endless technology and consumption yeah. and you know 
Black Friday, but please don't get me started on Black Friday. I will be here <laughs> until then um, with me <laughs> ranting about everything that's wrong with it. Um, <laughs> everything is wrong with it. Uh, but you get cheap stuff, so it's good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know when it is. I'm, I'm uh, quite the, proud to say. It's, it's the day <laughs> after Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving hadn't been commercialised yet, so they had to find a way okay. of commercialising it. And then obviously they of added course. in Cyber Monday afterwards. So Mr. Bezos could fund his next trip to space. Um, yeah, right. Because, <laughs> you know, Super who doesn't, let's, yeah, who doesn't need to pop to space? Let's destroy another place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's get outside and destroy the outside of the atmosphere as well as inside yeah, it. Um, what a good idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Brilliant. We, we are genii. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what do you kind of, in an ideal world, what would come out mm-hmm. of COP? 26. I'm going to call it by his name. I'm not going to call it Con anymore. That, that was challenging for you. Yeah, it um, was. In an ideal world, um, like we were talking about, all nations working together and not just the, the well-known to us Western Europeaners, the, you know, the, the whole world working together, the small countries, the island nations, the, the vulnerable people and places that are vulnerable as a consequence of our actions and that's not okay. So ideally everyone working together and I mean, yes, richer nations helping, helping poorer nations, but also us, like we were just talking about again, the fact that um, we can learn from other people. We can learn from these indigenous communities. So being open to, Helping people, helping to fund, but also being open to listen and and act. We've got to act. So ideally, action. Yeah, I think I think that last bit, the the action part, the you know, mm-hmm. Greta said it perfectly with blah blah blah, and I think it's. Yeah, I'm did. just. I'm very worried. I'm very worried that you know there is going to be there there'll be some kind of Glasgow Accord that comes out of it. That's going to be yeah. aiming for probably 2040 this time because that's far enough in the distance for them to, you know, put things off even more. Um, Oh, but they can't. They can't. But they can't. That's the thing. And there needs to be actions now, you know, stuff Mm. like, right, we're not going to dig for any more fossil fuels. We're going to stop fracking. You know, diesel cars, they promised a few years ago that they're going to stop being in production in Mm. 2035. I don't know. Maybe let's stop it now. Funding yeah. for solar energy in people's houses, um, reducing the price of electric cars, because now the technology is there. Let's, you know, let, let's make them encourage more accessible people. to people. Exactly. You know, let's yeah. encourage people, you know, trade in your petrol car for, for an electric vehicle. And then, yeah, people are like, oh, exactly. but then you have to charge it. And by charging it, you're using, you're using fossil fuels. Well, guess what? Let's invest more in renewables. If I had an electric car, which I don't, um, Mm. Elon, if you're listening, Mr. Musk, if you want to give me an electric (laughs) car, in fact, any electric car, yeah, I'm all all good. I want the Leaf. I've already decided which electric car I want. Are you on the Leaf? Cool. So if Nissan, if you're listening, also (laughs) Leaf um, would be good. Um, But the thing is, I've got solar panels on my house now. So... Mm -hmm. If I did have an electric car, I could charge my electric car using solar panels, so I wouldn't be mm-hmm. using that that um, energy that people are complaining that it, it's not as much as it would be fuel in your car. It, it isn't, mm. but you know, I could do that. So 
I could drive guilt free. I can't yeah. at the moment. I hate getting in the car. And like you know, when before something is accessible, people just find um, problems and find reasons why it won't work. Like when I was back in Wales over the summer, and I was talking to my parents about having an electric car, and they're like, "Oh, look there, there are a couple of points there for um, recharging your car." And then we went to the petrol station, and there was a big long queue, and they're like, "Yeah, but this." couldn't this isn't possible if you have an electric car because look how many people need to recharge their car so yeah okay there there'll be different challenges of course but they're not unsurmountable it's like you can also well, charge it in your house before you leave well. like you know <laughs> exactly yeah it yeah. you know exactly. how often you know I, I don't know how far your parents drive i'm not going to judge i don't imagine they drive for yeah. much more than three hours at a time often yeah well, at the moment, not at all. <laughs> 20 minutes into town. And that's... <laughs> there you go. Um, and, and they yeah. live at the same place my parents live, I believe. Well, very, very near. They live in Commons Court. You said yours are in Kevin Esquire. Yeah. Which is just up the road. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, they, I'm, it's, for, for everybody who doesn't know Wales very well, it's, we'd say Aberystwyth would be the place that most people would say, but it's technically not Aberystwyth, is it? It's... Ellen's going to say it because I'll, I'll, I'll embarrass myself otherwise. Which one? The one, the, the one that, that we went to. Clambadenvaur. There you go. Clambadenvaur, <laughs> obviously. Oh, there you go. Very good. You go. It's spelled like Jönbadenfuar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Welsh so is really difficult, I found. Um, ah. I Another found it, thing yeah. with the environmental warriors, like, um, well, on STEM Ginger Education, having a place on the website where we can learn words in each other's languages. So, for example, Welsh or Catalan, I live in Catalonia, and learning um, words in each other's languages, that's a fun thing to be doing and to, becoming, to help you become, help us become more culturally aware and things. Poca Poc a poc, exactly. There you go. <laughs> Adeo. <laughs> um, yeah. There you go. They're my two. That's it. Yeah. That's my Catalan for mine. you. Yeah, I'm trying to learn Portuguese at the moment, so I don't want to. Oh. I don't want to push that out of my brain uh, <laughs> with, with with Catalan. Um, and yeah. Welsh, I just found. Um, I found it fascinating, and what I found also quite amusing was my parents are learning Welsh because they've lived there oh, for a couple you? of years yeah. now. Um, but obviously their pronunciation isn't fantastic. But I would then, just just to wind them up, it's, it's so much fun winding your parents up, isn't it? I would just <laughs> pronounce everything how it was written. And it would drive my mum right up the wall, you know, just oh, driving yeah. along and I'd say, she'd be like, no, the F's like a V. And it's like, oh, okay. It's a unless it's a, unless it's a double F, is an F, obviously. Exactly. Um, <laughs> there you go. Look, look at me with all my yeah, Welsh knowledge. There you go. Um, that's that's what like comes when from people having... look at Welsh, they say, "Oh, you know, there are no vowels in Welsh." And I, I was just reading something the other day in English, and it said the word "rhythm." I was like, "Well, rhythm has no vowels in it." My favourite hangman word. It. Yeah, right. <laughs> but we can all say it. Yeah, so, and it's the same with Welsh. You just, you know, phonetically, there are vowels. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just different. <laughs> it's a different language. I mean, you know, um, I find it challenging, but my, my, one of my nieces is bilingual in Welsh. Um, I know, that's wonderful. So that's really cool. The, the other one doesn't go to school. Um, she's homeschooled um, okay. since the pandemic. Like she basically stayed after that. Um, 
so one of them is bilingual in, in Welsh and I I was teaching her Spanish for a while as well which was really oh, fun um, yeah. I want I'm to get back to it I'm teaching my nephew Spanish as well oh there you go yeah. There you go. Uh, well, at the same time, in the you know, at the same time, my daughter's teaching me Spanish, yeah, which is, which is always fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. I always, I always have that when I speak to people back in the UK, and they're like, "Are you fluent in Spanish?" Is always their question. You know, are you fluent know. in Spanish? It's like, well, it's like, well, what's your definition of fluency? Exactly. To you, absolutely, I am. You exactly. Know. Yeah. To you, I'm one hundred percent fluent. To a Spanish person, it's quite laughable sometimes. Yeah. Um, exactly. That's what I always say too. But then that's what gets me about my like the learners of of English, particularly here in Spain. You know, they'll say, "Ah, oh, I'm B one in English." You know, because mm. they've got. The, the they've done the pet exam or something so they are b1 in english yeah, it's like, yeah. and it's like that's you know it's, it's the wrong mentality can you speak english yes i'm all right yeah. no not really you know exactly i could probably do better um yeah. so yeah that's uh anyway again i've that's been completely sidetracked <laughs> um yeah, doubtful is, that, is that, that vanessa in there hello vanessa lovely to see you um, somebody saying it was doubtful in the in the um, chat there. So yeah, um, <laughs> hello. She was she was another wonderful guest we had on um, on the first uh, of September. In fact, we talked about yeah. mindfulness, which again yeah, has its connection with with nature. Obviously, it has a huge connection yeah. with nature um, okay. and what with its sustainability. Thing to, do, to go out walking in the countryside without shoes on or something, and just like, maintain the exactly taking in the environment around you. Yes. <laughs> exactly that now before you go i know you have to go because you have a you have a class um you're yeah. going to be teaching hundreds of people about climate change am i right you are you are a hundred we'll see how many hundred <laughs> tens dozens let's say dozens that sounds better okay <laughs> up up to hundreds yeah. yeah excellent um but before lots. you go let's just say lots Lots. Uh, uh, before you go, I would like, I did ask you briefly, and then I forgot mm. to ask you again about constructive vision. Tell me about that uh, before yes. we pop off okay. for our news. Well, constructive visions is a project that I've just started partnering with um, about, I think there are 40 countries around the world involved and their stories. It's about coming. The idea is to come out, um, get children thinking about ways that we can come out of the pandemic in a positive way how we can make changes that are forward thinking after the pandemic. And um, yes, there are about 40 countries involved and where there are beautiful stories, short stories written. For example, one of the ones that I'm focusing on at the moment is written by different animals that have been affected by, by humans, elephants, bats, and blamed for the pandemic, and dugongs, um, which are underwater mammals, which I'd never heard of before, but super interesting. And looking at these mammals, and they've written in this story, they've written um, letters to humans saying, thank you for changing this, that, and the other after the pandemic to make the world a better place for us, for you. And so it's really positive. And, That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, that is lovely. Um, I'll be, I'll be paying close attention to that. Yeah, watch um, this space. As I will with STEM Ginger Education, which everybody should thank be doing. You. Give them a follow um, everywhere you can. Uh, which much. is social media. Um, find Ellen on LinkedIn. Um, she can tell yeah. you lots of things. Um, <laughs> and with that, I will bid you adieu or adeu. Um, adeu. Um, or however you say it in Welsh. 
Goodbye, Hoyle. Ellen. I, I, I love this. This is another thing about learning words in other languages. Hoyle in Welsh means bye, but it also means fun. Well, so when you, you go. say good, goodbye to someone, you say fun. Well, Hoyle. Hoyle. And um, I'm going to jump off to the news. And when we come back, we will be speaking to uh, Kath Billsborough, an absolute legend in the ELT industry. Um, and yeah, as I say, thank you very much, Ellen. I'll speak to thank you, you soon. Thank you very much. And we will have Kath right after this news and advert break. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Tom Hopkins Burke. This is Tom Hopkins Burke with your latest Teachers Talk Radio News. Millions of public sector workers, including teachers, are set to see their pay rise next year as a result of this week's budget. Paul Whiteman, General Secretary of the National Union of Head Teachers, has welcomed the reversal of last November's pay freeze, but he warned that the government needed to give schools the money to pay for extra salaries, else they will be faced with heartbreaking decisions. Kevin Courtney, Joint General Secretary of the NEU, said that Chancellor Rishi Sunak's announcement was big on promises but short on detail adding that there is no mention of the £30,000 starting salaries that were also put on pause. Meanwhile, Small Business Minister Paul Scully MP refused nine times to say whether any pay rise would make public sector workers any better off financially. The British Psychological Society has called for isolation booths in schools to be banned. The BPS has argued that the use of isolation booths is not evidence-based, and has not been proven to be effective. It has stated that isolation booths breach the UN Convention on the Rights of a Child and disproportionately affect the children and young people who need the most support. The BPS has called instead for a focus on building supportive environments to promote positive behaviour in children and young people. A new study is aiming to increase the number of young women and girls playing football. The study conducted by Loughborough University and the Football Association aims to explore how teaching methods influence girls' football experiences. The Football Association stated that it wants girls to have the same football experiences as boys in schools and clubs by 2024. Donna McIvor, Senior Development Manager at the FA, added that the ambition is to transform the PE learning experience for girls in primary schools and modernise the secondary school curriculum offer. That was your latest education news with Tom Hopkins Burke. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. 
Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses? All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Thanks very much, everybody, for sticking around. Um, I'm now going to introduce the second guest for today um, very briefly. In fact, I'm going to let her introduce herself. Uh, she is one of my... Um, oof, she's an ELT hero. She's a footprint legend. I know she doesn't want me to, to, to praise her too much. I don't want her to be shy about it. Uh, but, Kath, can you tell us something about yourself? Hi, Harry. Um, yeah, thank you for that introduction. Very nice indeed and lovely to be here. So like Alan, I'm from Wales too. So I'm from South Wales, but I've lived in Spain since 1987, which is a long time. And I live in the north of Spain in a very rural area. Um, it's called the Merindades, which is kind of like the valleys. And I sort of came from the valleys of South Wales and I've ended up in the valleys of Northern Spain. So it's a little bit like returning home in some ways. Um, yeah, I live in a tiny little village with nine inhabitants, nine human inhabitants, <laughs> quite a lot of, quite a lot of um, four-legged inhabitants, cows and sheep and horses, etc. And these days I am a freelance author, ELT author and teacher trainer. And I do a little bit of voluntary teaching locally as well. So that's me. Brilliant. Um, you are much more than that as well, though. Um, you are also... Um, I, now, I... I you're an inspiration to me. Absolutely, you are. Um, and I, I think what you've done um, with ELT Footprint has been an inspiration to so many people. Um, I know that, that for me, it was a huge um, deciding factor in me moving forward with stuff like Renewable English. And, and, and a real change in mindset came really early days of ELT footprint actually like really really early days of it when um I was I was very much in a um a kind of an eco angry mode at the time um when you know sometimes you need to get eco angry I know that and I think I I just you know I, I went off on somebody once and you sent me a message just politely saying you know we, there's no need to shame people here 
And it was like from that moment as well, I kind of thought, you know what, you're right, because it doesn't achieve anything just shaming people with the awful things that they do and the terrible things that they say. And like that was a, a real big turning point for me. Now, I've not ever told you that before. Um, but yeah, that, that message you sent saying that just kind of woke me up to myself. And I thought, you know what? I probably shouldn't just be attacking people. I should be more positive and try and make a, a difference in a better way. So thanks for that. <laughs> that's that's really um, nice to hear. But I think it's a, a familiar story too. I think all of us um, have gone through that kind of thing where, you know, we we tend to pick up on negative things people do and say and it's very easy to shout at people and say hey you know you mustn't do that stop doing that but that whole discussion we've had a few discussions on ELT footprint about um eco shaming etc and it, I, I've learned my lesson too so I think we achieve a lot more when we step back and we're a little bit more thoughtful in how we speak with people and how we kind of listen to people and you know because everybody's trying hard to do their best and everybody everybody's doing something some people are doing more than others but just because people aren't always as green as we might like them to be it doesn't mean to say that in other parts of their lives, they're not being greener than we are. So it's a dangerous um, step, I think, to start criticizing people, especially publicly. So yeah, I, that that rings the bell for me too. And I was, I, I mean, I used to be terrible. I used to, you know, say, what are you doing? You know, stop, you can't do that. And then think, oh my God, you know, what about me? If they could see me now sitting here with my single use straw or whatever um you know we all have uh, moments when we i suppose we nobody's perfect that's what i'm trying to say exactly i think on the kind of individual level as well um that day if you do go out and get a single use plastic straw or you're out you know you're really thirsty and you buy a bottle of water or you know these these small acts you know they you know, they're not a good thing to do, but the people that we need to be shouting at are the people who are making, you know, the huge things, the, the huge damage that they're making to the environment. You know, we, we need to be shouting at governments. We need to be shouting at, you know, these uh, oil companies and so on and so forth. I think, you know, they're the people that need to know what we're angry about and the things that need to change rather than uh, your neighbour who maybe doesn't recycle properly, which... You know, maybe you can talk to your neighbour and, and help them learn how to recycle. But you know, for me, re recycling has has become almost an excuse for for people now to, you know, when I recycle, so I'm doing my bit for the planet. And and it's something that when I went into schools here in Spain and I was I was talking to the students and I was saying, so what can you do to help the environment? Thinking, you know. Kids nowadays are much more woke than us. You know, they're much more aware, climate aware of, of these different things. And, and, yeah, the only thing they said was recycle. You know, the only thing they knew that they could do was recycle. And they've been kind of fed this line that if you recycle, you're helping the planet and, and that's enough. 
And my, my favorite analogy that I've ever come up with um, is the one of recycling is a bit like saying you're on a diet and then going to McDonald's and ordering your Big Mac with a Diet Coke and being like, well, it's Diet Coke, so I'm on a diet. Like, it is something that you should do, but it really is, like, for me, it's an early thing. It's like a, it's a starting point. It's a, it's a minimal thing that you should be doing, but it's a great way to start to get into kind of environmentalism. Yeah, and it's, I think it's something that, it's easier to recycle these days than it used to be, you know, 10, 10 or 15 years ago. It's much easier. They, they, we, we could, you know, now we can buy special bins which have separate containers for different materials and things like this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we've, we've moved on from, from the three R's and now we're aware of other things that we can do. Um, I think that the important thing is that everybody is like like so for example like as you just said you know if you're out somewhere and you're hot and you want a drink of water and you need to buy a bottle of water it really you know it's no big deal what's good i think is that when we do these things when we buy these bottles of water you know we are we do think oh god you know i forgot my water bottle or i really should have we're actually aware so that awareness is there and i think that's key because that's what keeps us kind of on our toes and reminds us that next time we can do things differently. But yeah, it's the, we need to be kind of looking at the big picture and thinking about who really the enemy is, if you like, um, and trying to make our messages heard by the people who are ultimately able to do, make the biggest changes. Yeah. So governments and, you know, big businesses and this kind of thing. Financial organisations and such, which which is something that I, I must admit is so it's it's kind of come to light in the last few years. Really, it's it's kind of a new side to to the climate crisis that we'd you know the climate battle maybe that we weren't particularly aware of even a few years ago. The you know where our money was going and you know the banks that were investing in these fossil fuel companies and stuff like that wasn't something that i was like even aware of you know, a couple of years ago and now it's it's like actually yeah that is a really good point you know i haven't bought a plastic water bottle for a very long time but that's you know where is my money invested you know i, I could go five lifetimes without drinking um a bottle of plastic water but you know what I did for me personally. It's it was very difficult to change my my bank because it's got my mortgage, it's got my you know my account and so on and so forth. But the first thing I did was change my daughter's bank account because you know she is the future. So that's an easy step. She doesn't have access to the money in that bank account anyway. She's only eight, so that's like a saving for her future. But what we just did was straight away took it out and we moved it to a to a greener bank. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. Um, I don't know if well, listeners will you, you will know about this. I'm sure, but and some listeners might or might not. But um, <clears throat> that on on the ELT footprint um, website, we've got an article um, about Will Will Grant's four levels of action, 
and it's it's a it's there's a video on YouTube that people can look up. So his name is Will Grant, and he's an activist, and he talks about four levels of action that we can take as human beings. So number one is individual action, action where we change our habits and we you know we recycle we don't buy this or you know we live in a certain way um the second level of action is when we do things with our friends and family so we convince those around us like what you did there with your daughter's bank account this kind of thing and mm-hmm. um, the third level is where we work in communities and local institutions um, so, for example, if you're a teacher, that would be your school and maybe local groups that you're a member of. And then the fourth level is the larger scale economy, policy makers, where we change in laws, etc. And what he says is that we can make the most, uh, we can have most um, uh, change, if you like, be, be more what's the word I'm looking for, have more Im- most impact in that third level. So that's where we've got, uh, where we mix with um, people in our community and groups, the people we work with, etc. And I've thought a lot about this over the past couple of years since I first came across this video because it's actually very, very true. And I've locally, I would urge anybody to join a local group, an action group. Um, there's always something local going on in terms of the environment. And it might be that you want to stop fracking in your area, or there might be a beach cleanup group, or there might be just a group of local environmentalists um, doing all kinds of different things. But by joining in with a group, that's where, in my experience, that's where you learn what's going on and where you are sometimes surprised and where you find out that yes that local bank that you joined actually has is investing your money in something that you'd rather not have it you know have it invested in so um my life kind of changed quite a lot when i started joining a few local groups here and that's when i became much more aware of um small ways I could make a big impact and um, how working together we can kind of change local policies and things like this. So that's that's sort of where I am at the moment. I couldn't agree more. I mean, here in, in Valencina, it's, you know, it's a small place. There's a few more than nine people here, but um, there's, there's about 7,000 people here. Um, but it's quite easy for me, you know, being a tall, bald, bearded man, um, it's quite easy for me to be seen and heard here. So you know, there are a lot of groups around the area who are, you know, we do we do cleanups, we do storytellings. Um, but there are a lot of us in the area, so it's very easy to spread the word. Um, in as much as I've been invited to the school, um, to go into the school and give, you know, presentations in the school and help out there with with various ideas to, to help improve not only their, their um, eco-literacy, as you, as you talk about, um, but also their level of English. And it was just today, as I mentioned briefly before, that I was in there today um, working on the allotment. And it's, 
it is these kind of local groups that you can get involved with that can can help you get into that and you know get involved with if your children are at school get involved with your your local um well, what's it? it's AMPA here? What's it called? It your Parent Teachers Association? Is that what it's called in English? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's the same here, and I, I and I would say as well that in um, well, where I live, for example, where I said there was there's nine in my village. So what we do, we um, there are groups that are set up, you know, of various villages, if you like. So we get together um, from you know the whole kind of area. There might be two people in my village, one person from up the road, et cetera, et cetera. And one thing that we're doing, um, one thing I feel quite passionate about is that we, this is a rural area, um, as I said, and it's part of kind of rural Spain where there's a big danger of people leaving these villages and moving to the cities, changing, you know, just not because they want to, but because there's no work or, you know, this kind of, they need to find a way of um, surviving. So what we are doing is, you know, just finding ways of bringing people back, if you like, um, and setting up things like community services. Or we've got a kind of well, the latest thing we've set up. It's been going a few years now, and it's um, it's like a cooperative. It's not an official cooperative. But where different people in their villages are, for example, somebody's making honey, somebody else is growing lavender, somebody else is um, making cheese, etc. So all together, we have quite a lot of product, produce, I should say, that we can share out or buy and sell between ourselves as a kind of group, if you like. So um that's kind of gained momentum and and it's become quite a big thing now and and we're just about to open a little shop in the nearest town so somebody's going to actually be paid to work in the shop so there's a new job there that's been generated and we're all eating more and more food that's produced within probably a 30 kilometer radius which is fantastic so um, I feel quite excited about that, and it's it's kind of children, if you like. Then you know they're learning about things like air miles, about how important it is to grow foods, to eat seasonally, um, not to eat too much meat, but to have a you know it, it has a knock on effect on on everything else because of course everybody who's involved, um, they're telling their families, their neighbours, their friends, their the children are finding out they're getting involved too so it's just brilliant actually and i can see from you know from your uh from your facebook i can see the the amount of produce that you're you're getting from from your uh from your land is i'm very envious i have to <laughs> say um i have a very small area where i can grow um uh, I've got, a, as I mentioned, a huge number of tomatoes, um, and we're we're building a, a, a like a, a raised bed in in our front garden. Um, but yeah, the the tomatoes here. I know in the UK, people you know act like tomatoes are the hardest thing to grow in the world, but here they grow like weeds down in the south of Spain. You know, I, I literally chucked in four plants, and I had enough tomatoes. I, 
I could probably power a small Italian restaurant for a few <laughs> weeks with the amount of tomatoes I've got from those four plants. It's brilliant, though, because, I mean, apart from anything else, it's so so fantastic, isn't it, just to, like, eat something that you've picked, you know, minutes ago sort of thing. And I think for me it's been a big learning process too. Well, me and my husband, Steve, neither of us had ever had a garden. So everything we are learning from scratch or from making mistakes or, you know, watching other people and see what they do. And, you know, we've, we've, I, I tend to do what everybody else does on Facebook, which is post photos of my successes. Um, I don't tend to post photos of the, the failures that we oh, have. Of course, of course. <laughs> but do you know what? One, one thing that um, I get really excited about, and I know that like friends of mine think I'm crazy sometimes, but I could sit and talk all day about compost. You know, it's it's just it it to me it's like a little microcosm of the whole world. It's it's you know the value of something that we throw out and it becomes something so important that, yeah, you know, yeah. it, it helps things grow and this kind of thing. I, I, you know, teaching children about compost. I mean, I you, you'll be doing that on your allotment when you have your compost heap. And, exactly. And all that kind of thing is just, yeah, that's going to be great, actually. I think gardening and children, I mean, what could be better? What could be a bigger learning experience than giving some children access to a garden. I mean, it is, wow. It's absolutely amazing. Um, and I know that your your latest tip um, for for National Geographic was about having, you know, a plant, you know, and getting involved with plants as well, like something I, I talk about quite a lot. Um, and, yeah, I think this is like a natural extension for that. Now, I know not all schools can do that. Not all schools have the the ability to have – you know, an outdoor huge allotment. But there are other kinds of allotments that they can put together. You know, they could do the, the in-bag allotments where, they, you know, you get the soil and you grow something out of that. It doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to provide produce for the whole school. It's just the idea that you know, they, they see something growing, they, they make it themselves. And that way people always complain, oh, kids don't like vegetables. I'll tell you what, if a kid has grown some runner beans themselves they're going to be willing to at least give them a try i think yeah definitely definitely i think i mean this it's amazing what you can grow these days in a very small place um just with a window you know and a window box like salad leaves or um you know tomatoes whatever depending on where you live depending on where you are but um i think that unless you're teaching in an underground cave or something but even then even then you know with lights and things you can grow some you know, mushrooms they, yeah absolutely in fact that's something i'd love to do i've, no, I've never done that but i would love to have a go at doing growing mushrooms so I yeah what, i mean I, when i when i speak to my folks which is probably i don't know maybe once a once every week or so, they always tell me about how many um, mushrooms they've, they've been out collecting and, and picking. So um, we've got a call at the moment from Sir Joe. So I'm just going to I'm going to wow. I'm going to allow Sir Joe. I'm going to open the mic for Sir Joe, as we would say, because he's talking about um, starting an allotment at his school. So um, hi there, Sir Joe. You you are you have been invited. If you'd like to, hello there, Joe. 
Hi, how's it going? It's good. Go What's on. your question? Oh, uh, it's, it's not much of a question. I guess, I guess I just wanted to call in because what you guys are talking about is um, something that my school are trying to achieve because I'm, I'm in the UK, but my school is very much a progressive school and um, every uh, 99% of what we do is outdoors. Um, wow. We've just hired, actually, um, a full-time environmentalist teacher. So this, this lady, her job is going to be to teach the kids about environmentalism and uh, <clears throat> all the things we can do and hopefully get going site jobs, which and one of those will be in, involved with um, one of the builds we've done. We saw my school's brand new. We kind of opened in 2019 and then um, we've moved to a new site this year. We've uh, been there for six weeks and yeah, we've got our own greenhouse, our own, um, our own sort of raised beds, which eventually will be veggie uh, growing and stuff. That would be awesome. I want to go to your school. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's so exciting. You, you, you're really lucky. I mean, you know that, obviously. Well, the children are really lucky, too. Yeah, and, you know, um, as, as you say, 100% true. Um, kids are, um, it's like if kids are cooking um, their own food, um, they're... Uh, so so much more likely to try it and it's the same with growing their own food if you know they've had a hand in in making something in, in that process then they're more likely to they're, they're far more likely to try it in terms of growing veggies so I guess the one thing where that wouldn't be true and it's a bit of a taboo and a bit of a controversial thing is if you get kids involved in rearing their own meat if they end up having to kill their animals uh, for meat and then eat them, that's probably going to actually be a turn off. It, it might encourage <laughs> veganism. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And yeah, I mean, to, although to be fair, due to the nature of my school, like most, that the, we have a lot of vegetarians and vegans. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we are going to keep animals, but they're not going to, definitely not for me, they're going to be our, uh, our, our pets, our school animals. Um, I think the, one of the projects that the kids are going to do is research into um, what vegetables um, are the best in the certain times of the year um, and, uh, and how, that's, how that can work. Um, so therefore and then that will be put the great thing about our school is that they can then be put into action so the research that they do in the projects and what they find out can then be directly result in okay so these are the animals we're going to get that we can look after properly and these are the uh what we this is what we're going to plant where they'll they'll survive with proper care and in the right conditions so yeah i'll um i will definitely keep you posted uh, definitely i've uh, i've put my instagram handle in the chat um add me on there so i can give you a follow because i would love to to stay up to date with that thank you so much for your call sir joe 
Yeah, no problem. I'll um, I'll also, I'll, I'll give you a follow, and then um, you can um, that's my school is called Liberty Woodland School. Um, Excellent. Yeah, that's um, I, which I think I put it in my uh, in my profile description. So yeah, uh, can definitely definitely do that. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you very good, much. Good luck with everything. <laughs> Thanks. Amazing. Thank you very much for your call. Now, um, we're here to talk about, well, we're here to talk about everything, really, but we, I want to talk about COP. Now, um, I, I mentioned briefly um, with Ellen beforehand, you know, about the fact it is the 26th edition and, and we're only just really, you know, anybody's actually talking about it now, probably because it's in Glasgow, possibly because, you know, people are making noise about the environment. I want to know, what are your hopes for COP? Well, um, it's really difficult. I'm trying to get a balance between... Um, I'm, I'm always an optimist. I'm, a, I'm very optimistic, uh, despite evidence sometimes, you know, telling me that I shouldn't be. So I'm optimistic this time, too. Um, and I think what makes... My hopes are that the <coughs> everything everything around cop maybe not even cop itself but everything that's happening around it so like there's been some pre cop events there are some um things going on in schools there are you know things like the the mock cop thing mm -hmm. that went on before all of this i think a lot of the um, a lot of my hope, if you like, lies in all of these sort of fringe things yes. going on, rather than you know, Mister Important coming along in his you know flashy suit and saying a few words. So obviously, some of these. I mean, we need sort of important people to put things on the map and. You know, that it'll, it'll be on the news if so-and-so turns up and so-and-so says whatever. But my real kind of um, what sparks me or what lights me up most is when I see all of the fringe stuff and the young people, especially the young people, I think. Um, when I say young, I mean, you know, very young, you know, children, teenagers, um, early 20s people so passionate and actually doing things and doing really fun things to draw attention to, to the problems, yeah? So, you know, bringing in sort of art and music and, you know, all the rest of it. So um, my hope lies more with these young people. And I, I, I think that the goals are very you know they're not going to it's not going to be easy to reach you know net zero by you know the mid century whatever but it's it is doable so there has to be some sort of balance i think and we need to you know mobilize people i think that the finance is a big thing so there needs to be um people need to be you know, put their money where their mouth is, the finance companies, banks, big business, they need to fund whatever needs funding so that the 
poorer areas are able to meet their targets because they won't be able to do it on their own. And I mean, that's the whole idea, I think, is that the, you know, financial entities are mobilized, etc. So if they come along and speak up and say, we're going to do this and we're going to do that, we need to keep them accountable. It was interesting. I had a look just um, before coming on here or earlier mm-hmm. today um, at the COP26 website um, to see who the, um, what are they called, the sponsors were. Yeah. So there were sponsors, um, there was Scottish Power, which is obviously some kind of energy company, obviously mm-hmm. because it's taking part in Scotland, but then companies like Microsoft, Hitachi, you know, big global companies are there sponsoring this event. And I think there's more, there's a growing awareness amongst the general public of the evils of greenwashing. So for me, I think that we all need to be on our, you know, on the lookout and we get, I think we're getting better. Some of us are getting better at discovering, if you like, that, you know, all is not what it seems to be. And I would like to think that these sponsors um, are not going to be sort of, they're going to, this time is for real, if you like. They're not going to be saying one thing and doing another. So I kind of, I'm, I'm being hopeful that things will, things will happen. Um, for me, the huge thing is the energy. That is, I mean, for me, it's, it's kind of everything about, we, we've invested in um, solar energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, <laughs> you're brilliant. And and in and then where we live, it just makes so much sense. You know, we live in in a place with, I don't know, many hours of of sun. You know, but you know, it just makes perfect sense. And to me, the whole energy question is key because people because the energy prices are going up at the moment. In one way, it's a really good thing because people are suddenly thinking, why are we using gas and oil? Why are we still using fuel? You know. Um, fossil fuels when the prices are going up and up and up a few people are lining their pockets big businesses are making still making a fortune and we can't afford to heat our homes in the winter and outside we've got loads of sun we've got uh, you know loads of wind we've got all these other possibilities so I think people are finally starting to you know join the dots and think You know, and and there are grants, more grants available. I know in some countries, not everywhere. So, I am very hopeful about the way this is moving. I a few years ago, for example, ten years ago, I think we inquired about getting um, solar energy for our house here, and we were told it was just impossible. You know, we weren't allowed to do this, and we weren't allowed to do that, and now everybody's doing it you know it's like it's not it you know it's not a a strange thing anymore it's a sensible thing so um prices need to come down and it needs to be made it it can be done better i think this is this is the thing is it can be done in like communities together could invest in um an energy program um villages towns it doesn't have to be individual you know, it shouldn't have to Absolutely, be. Absolutely, yeah. I, I so, really think my kind of hope for for like one of the things for COP is this energy thing, and 
just make it that bit more accessible. Um, Absolutely. Because yeah. it, it, it's, it's really expensive. It is really expensive to have it done because it is those few companies who are, again, you know, lining their pockets because of this. So, you know, community ideas is fantastic. Um, making it more possible to store the energy as well would be good rather than, yeah. you know, because batteries are, are a fortune and they, they don't encourage us to use them. Um, and, yeah, I think if some kind of grants for solar energy would come out of it and, you know, making it more accessible to people, that would be absolutely incredible. Yeah, I think I've heard sort of some ideas whereby, um, you know, that if you invest in, in solar energy or some kind of wind energy or these in some parts near where I live, people are getting this kind of hybrid setup of solar and wind. Um, and usually what people ask is um, if it's the, it costs X amount of money, but after X amount of time, you get your money back sort of thing. Well, mm -hmm. I think there should be some kind of plan where you can, you know, you don't have to come up with all the money yourself. You know, the banks or whoever will put that, will pay for it all. And then, you know, over that X amount of time, you might not be, you know, they, they, they'll be getting their money back from the money that you're saving or Exactly. I'm, not explaining, I'm not explaining it very well. I'm rubbish on The money that kind of comes back goes into that to paying it off. Um, yeah, exactly. It's kind of, it, it's, it's for me, it's such a logical, you know, thing because like everybody, everybody will win, you know, except of course, um, the well, companies. the huge, but yeah. they, they, their time is, their time is, um, their time has come. Yeah, they need to change, and I think this exactly. is it. I mean, what, one of the I know that one of the um, on the mission statements or the 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 goals that they've set out for COP twenty six, it says something like, um, "We need to adapt to protect environments, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And this whole thing about adapting, um, individuals are good at adapting. We we. You know, we we made to adapt. We adapt all the time, but these huge energy companies they also need to adapt. And I think some of them are. Um, they need to go further, obviously, and you know they they could survive if they, you know, just. Well, I don't know. Change I mean, with the times. Yeah, exactly. Times. And mentioning exactly. time, Kath, I am going to draw our conversation to a close um i could talk to you all day and all night as well probably um but there is somebody who's going to be coming on shortly after so i need to get off the airways very soon um, <laughs> i want to say a huge thank you um for coming on it's an absolute pleasure to have spoken to you um i know this is our first time properly speaking i've, I've listened to you speak i've watched you speak i've spoken via chats um but to actually sit down and have a conversation with you has been absolutely delightful yeah it's been fun isn't it we'll have to do it again definitely it's really nice being being on the radio it's quite exciting actually it, don't do this every day well, it, was, <laughs> it, was, it was lovely to have you and i know that i'll be seeing you in elt footprint i encourage everybody to 
to join ELT Footprint, even if you're not necessarily in the ELT industry, but if you are interested in the planet, in the environment, ELT Footprint is the place to be. It's the award-winning place to be, no less. It is indeed. And what makes it so great are the people who are the members, the community. So thanks for mentioning that there, Harry. And thank you for getting it started. Um, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, I hope everybody has enjoyed the show. Um, I'll be back next week. I hope everybody enjoys COP um, and pays close attention to it. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with kind of a, a post-COP special as well. So thank you very much, Kath and Ellen, for being on today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been Harry Waters. You've been listening to The Drive Home, and I'll see you next week. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.